Hey everyone, before we get started with today's episode, I just want to say a massive thank you for all the support we've had on the podcast from the guests that have made reaching 110 episodes possible. And 110 episodes is no small feat. Uh, To those of you that download, share, like, subscribe to the podcast, it's all massively massively appreciated as i'm sure everyone on earth at this point is aware we are in the grips of a a horrible pandemic and the latest wave of restrictions put in place here in the uk have all but destroyed my business i am asking anyone that is able to to head over to patreon.com forward slash chris carl photography podcast and any donation you can make is hugely hugely appreciated with all that said let's jump into today's episode first found you through a recommendation from another photographer when I was looking to switch to Fuji for my wedding work. And we'll talk about cameras and we'll talk about weddings as we go. But I guess the obvious place to start is just why it is that you became a photographer? Why did you pick up a camera for the first time? Um, well, good question. I don't know. I, uh, I've always had sort of like an interest in it. My, um, my dad uh, shot film when he was younger and he had his own darkroom and stuff and like not to get too deep too quickly but like he left when I was quite young and like didn't come back but I don't see him anymore but I always had that sort of memory of like him developing film and shooting cameras and stuff in my head so I always kind of grew up with an interest um, but it wasn't until actually um, I got married in 2014 that I got my first camera like shortly after my wedding day um, as a present from my father-in-law. And from then I was just hooked. Like it was literally like an addiction, but like one that I was happy to have, if that makes sense. The early expectations when you get that first camera, is it that it's just going to be a hobby, something you mill about with, or were you fairly optimistic from the get-go it was something you could go quite far with? No, no, not at all. I never, never went into it with the intention of, you know, having a business or doing it professionally. It was just a hobby. You know, I, uh, I had a, a son at the time. I think he was only like one and a half or two years old. And I enjoyed taking pictures of him and my wife. And I was really into sort of like landscape and nature photography and stuff like that. Um, and it just, it kind of grew from there, you know, how it usually starts. Like a friend of a friend asked me to take some pictures and then another one and another one. And as you're like, I don't think it ever would have got this far without the help of social media, obviously, because as you're sharing pictures, you know, it kind of spreads like a virus, doesn't it? The more people that see it, the more people that talk about you and recommend you and stuff. And it just grew from there. From like a photographic point of view, your first few weddings that you shot, what was that feeling like? Did you, did you, was it exciting or was it something that terrified you? How was it to shoot weddings for the first time? Yeah, both excitement and utter terror that you're going to, you know, bulge something up or do something wrong or miss a shot, miss a moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first one I did was for a lovely lady. Uh, I think her name was, I think it was Chantelle actually, uh, Canvey Island, which is near Essex. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've come a long way since then. <laughs> um, I was, I, I shot very differently back then. You know, I, I was heavily into Photoshop and stuff and edit editing and stuff. And, to be honest with you, the final images, she looked nothing like what she did in real life. I remember <laughs> you know, her sharing them on Facebook and stuff and, you know, all people commenting going like, oh, Chantel, you look lovely. And me thinking, I don't know who that is, but that's not <laughs> Chantel. You know, I've created this new person and yes, yeah, she does look nice. But So yeah, it kind of grew from 
that and then you know over years and stuff you prefer especially once I started shooting more film I don't I barely ever touch Photoshop like all my editing for digital is just done in Lightroom um, and then obviously film I, I, I very minimal tweaks and stuff like that so I kind of prefer to just keep it true to a natural life now So what is it that's driven your style to end up where it is at the moment what was it that took you out of Photoshopping Chantel or um, or whoever to, to such an extreme and took you to more of a natural look uh laziness <laughs> no i don't know i think um especially when it comes to shooting film and stuff there's something about that element of just like capturing a person in that moment as they are you know and keeping it true to life and stuff and even with my digital editing i'll do like color corrections you know and exposure and stuff like that and i might you know use the um the brush tool and like or something to get rid of a spot but i will pretty much just keep it to how it is um, and that's just, I guess, my personal preference for photography, especially when it comes to portraiture and stuff. I find something quite interesting with wedding photography because it's always evolving. And I think especially England, we tend to look at the States a lot stylistically and where they're going. We always seem to be about a year behind them, depending on trends and whatnot. Um, in terms of your own work, like how close are you to producing the stuff that's like really what you want to be doing? Are you someone that really likes your own work at the moment? Or are you um, like, I personally have just a constant problem with self-hatred when it comes to my own work. I always want to be getting better. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think to be honest with you, if anyone is at a level where they're comfortable and they think, you know, oh, my work is the bee's knees, you know, I'm, I'm happy where I am, then they've stopped progressing. And I think, you never want to get to that stage. You know, I always want to be getting better and improving in, in certain things. So I wouldn't say that I have self-hatred for my work, but then you get to a point where, you know, like two years later, you look back at what you were doing two years ago and that's where the cringe comes in. You're like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe I used to do that. Like, so, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% happy with what I'm doing at the moment, but I, I do feel like I'm moving in the right direction and kind of almost the direction that I wanted to move, you know, like six years ago. I knew where I wanted to be in terms of a photographer and I, I feel like I am getting there, but how long that would take, you don't know. What do you think the most undervalued skill of a wedding photographer is? Wedding photographer, uh, people skills. I think um, you need to be able to get involved and mingle with people. Obviously, you've got, you know, when it comes to wedding photography, like fine art wedding photography, where it's just, you know, nice pictures of nice people and their nice flowers and their nice clothes and stuff like that. But for me, definitely uh, a great deal of like documentary work is what I aspire to. And like documentary photographers that I, I, I try and find like a nice balance between documentary and, you know, taking nice pictures of people. But I would say it's probably like 80 to 85% documentary and then only like 15% nice portraiture and stuff like that. Like throughout the day, I would just focus in on capturing people doing their thing. And I think you have to get involved, you know, be friendly with people, be able to talk to them, no matter what sort of level they're on, you have to be able to kind of almost like become a bit of a chameleon and just kind of get involved with the people that you are in that situation. And I feel I am quite good at that, um, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Something that I find um, quite interesting with wedding photography is that you're almost never given ideal circumstances. And when you do get them, it's almost, you feel like Oliver when he finally gets some more. Yeah. What does a wedding have to do for you to give you the best opportunity to kind of succeed at what you do best? Um, I think it's a mix of everything really like nice venue, nice weather, nice company, like people, a, a couple that is just relaxed, but also trusting of me to kind of 
do, you know, go roll with my ideas and stuff like that. Um, it all just kind of have to meld into, like you say, like the perfect storm. And when it does happen, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it's happening. And before you know it, it's kind of over, isn't it? <laughs> you kind of know at that point that the next three are going to have something that's going to really throw you out because you've been far too lucky all in one day. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. With your style, how hard is it for you to, um, to stick with what you do and what you do best and what you enjoy doing when you might have people that approach you and want you to do something that's outside of your comfort zone in terms of what you want to produce as a photographer? I think, um, especially more so over the past sort of like year to two years, we have luckily reached a level where we can, you know, there's been quite a few occasions where I've actually turned clients down because I've felt that we wouldn't be a right mix of each other. They want me to do something that either I didn't want to do, or maybe I felt like I couldn't do. Um, and because obviously we're, we're at the stage where, you know, I shoot sort of 50 plus weddings a year. Um, and I know sort of over the past sort of three to four years, we've been able to hit that. So if I do have a client, you know, say, Oh, I really want this sort of look, or I want you to do it this way. You know, we had, um, there was a, I don't know if you've heard of her, her name is Mrs. Hinch. Uh, I think that's her name. She's like a blogger, Instagrammer, influencer, and she's quite well known for, um, talking about, you know, ways to clean your house and stuff like this, but uh, she's okay. quite well known. And there's a videographer that we work with, uh, quite often. So she approached him first and, uh, and then he recommended us. So she came to us and she kind of told me what she was interested in. And it would have equated to, you know, like hours upon hours of posing and, you know, almost like we were doing it for a magazine, like she wanted to get into a wedding magazine or something like that. And that's really kind of not the style we want. You know, I more just want my couples to just have fun, might have a few drinks, have a laugh. We'll capture that as it unfolds. And then I might take you away for a few pictures. But, you know, what she wanted was not what we offered. So at the time I turned her down, she'd already paid a deposit through the videographer. And it wasn't until like a few months later that we discussed what she wanted. So at that point, I kind of had to make the decision, like, do I do something I don't want to do? Or do I be open and honest with her and give her money back? So we went down that route. I gave her money back. It was all very amicable. And I even recommended someone else that I thought could do what she wanted. I don't know if she actually went with them in the end. Um, and then it wasn't until after that, I found out that she was basically like famous. <laughs> I kind of kicked myself a bit for turning it down, but like, I feel like I did the right thing because you kind of have to be true to yourself in, well, in any form of life, but especially when it comes to, you know, your work and wedding photography and stuff. Well, I remember early on, I had a wedding where I was informed from the beginning of the day. So none of this was sort of indicated before the day. But on the day when I arrived, I was told that I wasn't allowed to take photos until instructed. So I spent the whole of bride prep sat in um, in like a room off to the side. They got completely ready and then I was brought in and they acted out bride prep for about 10 minutes. And I had, I had like an out of body experience with it because I was just like, this is the least like enjoyable way of, of approaching this for me because there's nothing natural to it. And yeah, you know, it just, it kind of, you almost feel like you're a camera rather than a photographer and you're just there to be clicked yeah. as opposed to actually have any input yourself. Um, if you don't mind me talking about gear for a little bit, um, I'm not re really someone that actually 
particularly focuses too much on gear. But one thing I do remember, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's just started doing weddings. Um, when I first started looking at wedding photography, there was this old school mentality that the only way to photograph weddings was you had to have what I guess is often referred to as like the holy trinity of lenses. Um, you had mm-hmm. to have something like 16 to 35, a 24 to 70, and then a 70 to 200. I've now been shooting weddings for, I think, six, seven years. And I use almost entirely for the, that entire time primes. And I, I stick pretty closely with 35 or 50 and 85 and 135. That's my go-to. Do you feel like there's any hard and fast rules when it comes to gear for wedding photography? I wouldn't say rules. Um, definitely similar to you and most other wedding photographers that I know as they evolve over time, start with zooms and soon kind of realize that primes are just nicer to use. You're sharper, faster, obviously for reasons, but same, same as you, I, um, you know, started with a 70 D and then moved to five D. So, you know, I was, you know, one of those guys that had a whole fast moneymaker, two five Ds on either side, one with the 24 to 70, one with the 70 to 200 kind of walking about, you know, feeling like the, the bee's knees. Um, but killing my back at the same time because they were bloody heavy. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got my first Fuji camera, which I actually bought not for work. I bought it um, for a holiday. Like me and my wife and my kids were going to Tenerife and I wanted something small and compact. And I picked up a Fuji X-T3 with the 23 millimeter lens, which is like 35 equivalent. And I took that on holiday for a week. And by the time I got back, I was honestly ready to just sell all of my Canon gear and go in full Fuji, like all chips in. I, that's how quickly I fell in love with the system. Um, and that's actually what I did. So I sold all of my Canon gear like a few months later before the wedding season started, like once I was a bit more comfortable with it. And I got a few Fujis with a few lenses. Um, and that was my first year with the Fujis. And I thought my work was a million times better than what it was, you know, with the cannons and the zooms and stuff. And it just changed the whole sort of shooting experience, like the way I shoot, the way I think about photography, everything sort of evolved from just having different gear, you know? So I do think gear is important, but you've got to find what works for you. What is it that made you change your style then? Or or what was it about the changing to the Fuji gear that helped you bring out your style more? I think having like a lighter setup and being able to kind of like move in and out of people and get closer to them and like more up front helped bring out like that candid aspect as well. Like I'll be on the dance floor of an evening with a beer in one hand and just one Fuji, like with a flash on top of it in the other hand, you know, like doing shutter dragon and stuff like that, just like dancing with people and taking pictures as I'm going. Like, and I think people are more comfortable and more able to give you their real selves when you're like that, because you're kind of like one of them. Like you're also dancing with a drink in your hand. Like you're the same. So they're more natural, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But you could never, you could never have done that with a Canon 5D and like a 70 to 200. You know, it's it would would have been impossible. When it comes to the actual lens setup that you have for weddings, what's your what's your main go tos? Uh, so with Fuji, it's the 24 and 56, which is 35 and 85 equivalent. So I'll have one on either side, um, and I'll shoot mainly the 35 and the 85, but I've also got the 16 millimeter 1.4, which is 24 millimeter equivalent. So I'll use that, uh, group shots and details and stuff like that. I, I don't, I had, um, the 80 millimeter and I've had, um, the 90 millimeter 
but I, I tend to find I never go longer than uh, 85. So I've, I've sold them and don't use them. And then uh, more recently, uh, I've had it for about a year and a half now. I've had the, the GFX 50R, which is medium format. Um, and I've used the native lenses, but the lens I use the most is a, a Voigtlander 58 millimeter lens. So it's like a, not actually made for that system. It's an older lens. But when you put it on the GFX sensor, uh, it gives you the equivalent of about 40, 40 millimeter F1 um, when you use it on wow. that system. So it's uh, like the bokeh is just crazy on it. And it's very similar to what you'd get with like the Pentax 6.7 and the 105 millimeter. That's basically what you get from that is like a 42 millimeter F1, 43 millimeter F1, something like that. So it's the closest I could get to that look with digital. Um, and you know, I just love that look. That's like, if I ever do a couple shoot, I'll pretty much just bring that camera and that lens and shoot the whole thing with that. And on a wedding day, when I take couples out for portraits, I'll pretty much just use that. Um, because that's giving me the look that I kind of want. So it's towards the end of last year that I actually, um, was asking around for recommendations on Fuji photographers that shoot weddings, uh, because I was looking to switch and I did switch for a brief time, although my wife in the end, kind of stomped her feet. She shoots weddings with me and she wanted to change back to what she was using before. So we moved away from Fuji and I do definitely miss it. The um, 16mm 1.4 is a lens that I think isn't just the best on the Fuji system. I think it's in the top five of any system that's about because of the close focusing and the sharpness and just such a such a wonderful lens. I wish more uh, companies would look at putting out something that's like a 24mm equivalent that can do what that lens can do. Um, you've just mentioned like the uh, the f- the film digital equivalents there, and and obviously, I, I guess I should start off by saying congratulations on hitting a thousand subscribers on your YouTube channel. Um, and obviously, I found found that quite recently. It's been a, a wonderful thing to watch, um, especially given the fact that we're all locked in. And um, I actually started film photography at the start of lockdown as something to kind of keep my brain from rotting um, while we yeah. were left inside. So it's been a wonderful thing to find. Um, do you find you're a different photographer shooting film to digital? I think it's actually affected the way I shoot digital um, in terms of, you know, how much it makes you slow down and kind of think about the shots before you take them. I think a lot of the time with digital, it's so easy to click away and like hope for the best. And you know that one of them is going to be okay or it's going to be something that you could fix in Lightroom to make it better. Um, but when you shoot film, obviously, especially medium format, most cameras, you get 10, 10 photos, maybe 12, you know, if it's a six by six or something. So you definitely slow down and you think about the shot more and you think about what's going on in the background. What's your subject doing? What's the lighting look like? You really do contemplate each and every photo. And I think the more you shoot film and the more that you have that frame of mind, when you pick up a digital camera, it's just subconscious. So you still have that frame of mind. And I shoot, you know, uh, recent weddings and stuff. I know that there's, we've been working less time because I'm not there from nine in the morning till like nine at night anymore, but definitely noticed I take a lot less photos than what I used to. And that helps obviously when it comes to culling and stuff, because you're more sort of looking out for right moments and then taking the picture when you see it, as opposed to just like click, 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 click. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Why film though? Like obviously at the moment, digital cameras are getting to the point of being essentially spaceships that require no input almost from the person using them. Why now do you think film is is coming back in such a big way? 
it's, it's definitely coming back in a massive way. And I think it has been building for the past few years. Um, obviously, you've got many sort of YouTubers, I'm sure you follow like I do, that are uh, a great inspiration. Um, but I just feel that there's a younger generation, especially out there, that never knew of it. Um, and learning about it, there's something very nostalgic about it. There's something exciting about it. You know, like it's not like the phone in your hand. It's not that quick. Like everybody's got a phone in their pocket these days and they're just like clicking away and it's so easy to take a picture, upload it to social media and it's got a hundred likes, you know, within five minutes. With film, it forces you to slow down. You can't take a picture and show everyone straight away. You can't even see it yourself straight away. Um, when you're sending that film off to be developed, like the whole time you're waiting for it to come back, it's exciting. You're excited to see what you've got. And I uh, got into developing myself, as I'm sure a lot of people did during lockdown, just from having the time to do it. You know, I've always wanted to do it, but actually having that time to teach myself and learn and stuff has been a blessing. <laughs> um, spending time with the kids and stuff. Like I know people talk about what's going on this year is horrible, but like, there are good aspects to it. And like you said, getting to a thousand subscribers, like I started that YouTube channel two years ago and I only did like one or two videos because I just didn't have the time and I just kind of left it on the back burner. But then obviously these past few months, I've had all this stuff. So I've been able to kind of get more involved and I feel like I've learned much more about cinematography and video and stuff as well. I've taught myself so much over the past few months just because I've been sitting around twiddling my thumbs. Um, but I'll always, you know, appreciate that. I'm rambling now. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. I mean, you just said that obviously two years ago you started the YouTube channel, but you were, you were tied up. You couldn't do as much as you probably wanted to. What was it that made you want to put videos out in the first place? Um, I don't know. In the first, the first video I did, uh, was actually a review of the, um, Fuji 80 millimeter macro lens just after it came out. And that's because I uh, know a few people that kind of work at Fuji UK and one of them said, look, I'll lend this to, I wanted to, um, I was interested in buying it. And he said, look, I'll lend it to you um, if you do like a little review or something of it. So he knew I was getting into YouTube. I wanted to borrow the lens. So it kind of went two ways. So I said, yep, I'll, I'll borrow it. I'll do a little review. Um, and that's had like my most views, although it's old and I watch it and I cringe. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it had like 10,000 views or something like that. So I always leave that up there just to remember kind of, that was like the first YouTube video I ever did. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Part, partly just to kind of go with your business aspect. I think, you know, when you run a business, you kind of want to be on all platforms, don't you? Like all sorts of social media and stuff. But then partly just because I was interested in uh, creating content and stuff like that and seeing if other people were interested in what I had to say, you know. A lot of the times when I'm doing videos, I just start to go off on like a ramble and just talking about my thoughts and stuff. And it's funny because there's no one else there to bounce off of. You're just talking to a camera. So sometimes I have to stop myself because I know that the video will end up being an hour long of me just talking in name. So what do you think of the state of photography on YouTube? I've asked this of a few people that I've had on that are fairly prominent YouTubers and ones that are just starting out. Do you think, for, like in general, do you think YouTube is a positive thing for photography? Yes. I think in general, it's a really positive thing for photography, uh, for digital, for film, for, you know, gearheads and stuff like that. Anytime a new piece of equipment or something comes out, there's instantly, you know, 50 plus reviews from it from different people. And if you're interested in buying something, 
you wouldn't have had this like, you know, even just 10 years ago, you'd have to search the recesses of the web or speak to people you know and try and find someone who's got it. Like you said yourself, when you were interested in moving to Fuji cameras, you were kind of looking to see other Fuji photographers and trying to find people. But nowadays you can go on YouTube and type in like the camera or gear that you're interested in and instantly watch like five videos and it will help you make your mind up. Like I still do it all the time. If I want to buy a new lens or a new camera or a new filter, like Moment, do you know the company Moment? They do like filter. Stuff. Yeah. Like they launched a new filter yesterday that's kind of like a Black Pro Mist kind of thing. And I was interested in it. And straight away they launched it. And like Matt Day and a million other people did reviews for it. And like I've already bought one <laughs> a day after <laughs> it was released just because of, you know, these videos. So it, it definitely has a massive impact on photography for sure. Obviously, the other side of that is that it can tip over. Uh, to the other side. And I think there are not to, because your name's on this, I won't slander anybody, but there are people that definitely abuse the, um, the review system to essentially sort of take underhand payments to say something's good, just so that you, you know, click the link in the description, you get more from it. Obviously that's a, that's a downside to it because there's the potential to benefit from your status, I guess, rather than actually give out accurate information. When it comes to YouTube, do you ever find yourself being tempted to kind of chase what you think would build up more follows or more likes or more subscribes rather than make stuff that, you know, speaks to you? Yeah. I mean, uh, you obviously have those sorts of thoughts and stuff, but I guess it depends kind of what kind of person you are, like not just YouTube, but Instagram, social media, like people who are on the TV, they're all going to get involved in advertisements and stuff like that to make money because that's what they're doing it for money and for success and stuff like that. But you know, I'm, not into YouTube for money or for success I'm at the moment, especially just doing it because I've got nothing else to do. I'm doing it for fun. You know, I'm doing it like the main tag or the little comment says, I make these videos for my own enjoyment. And it's true. I've just filmed one with my um, son where we just kind of went out for a photo walk and stuff. And I'll really slap soon. And I had the most amazing time just like being out with my son, taking pictures and having a laugh, you know, but um, no, I agree. It's definitely difficult. Like there are people out there that will, you know, take a, a payment and stuff like that just to advertise something. But I think it depends who you are as a person. Like if you have the mental capacity to see that that's what they're doing, then obviously you know that's what they're doing and you know to take anything they say with a pinch of salt. But you're right, there are probably people out there that <clears throat> maybe don't realise that. I mean, we talked a little bit ago about looking back on your portfolio from two years ago. And I think you said that that was the time to cringe. Mm. Something that I had said to me quite a few years ago, and it's it's something that stuck with me all this time. And it still really bothers me because I'm still trying to figure out the thinking behind it. But essentially a photographer who was a friend of mine said to me, he had an issue with the fact that I was taking out older work from my portfolio because it took away the ability to see the signs of improvement. And I've always been fascinated by that. Why you would want to leave less good images in your portfolio just so that people can see that you've gotten better at something that that's always stuck with me. Do you think that's something that you should have? You should have work that shows what you've done over the years. Or do you think you should just be putting together your best images? Um, I mean, personally, I, I think <laughs> I agree with you. You should just be showing your best work. Like you don't get artists, you know, the, the shit drawings in galleries. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a part of my there, but you know, you don't get, 
other people you don't get uh you know if a professional footballer had a bad day like he wouldn't want people to see that you know what i mean you you want to show your best work and although it may take you years and years and years of slogging away to get there you just want to show people what you're capable of now like I'd, I'd be the same i've deleted a few older youtube videos that i was cringing at and i didn't like and same with photos like i guess if you want your portfolio to show what you are capable of now what you have spent time and effort getting to that's that's your prerogative so i wouldn't see why it was anyone else's what, what would they get out of seeing your old work anyway most clients wouldn't care they wouldn't want to they want to know what, how, what you can do for them now surely not what you could have done four years ago i mean to be honest with you i've i've been stuck with trying to figure out why photographers are so interested in what other photographers are doing in the yeah. way that they are for, for the entire time that i've been doing it i came from Originally, I was a chef and I, I was a musician for a while as well. And photography seems to be sort of unto itself in the way that people interact with each other, especially on the negative end of things. I find it very strange, but it's always stuck with me that it, like you say, why would it be an issue that I, like, I don't, I, you know, I've had a hundred and I think 106 people on the podcast or 104, something like that. And I'm a fan of all of their work, but at the same time, it, like I'm not going to lose any sleep if they decide to do something with their portfolio that isn't what I would do. I would just probably move on and do something else with my life. Even with all the downtime I have right now, I probably still wouldn't waste time worrying about it. And it's always stuck with me. It's been a bit like when you listen to a song that just sticks in your head for weeks and weeks and you can't get rid of. It's been one of those weird constructive criticisms I've never been able to shake because I just can't really get my head around it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's funny. Like Obviously, same like you were talking about music a second ago, like bands and stuff like that. They all write you know, hundreds of songs possibly, they pick the best ones for the album. And then even then, like 10 years down the line when they're famous and they release a, a best of album, you know, they don't focus on the ones that they didn't like or the mistakes and stuff like that. <laughs> you, you learn from it. The photography community is, is a weird one. I do agree. Like you do get a lot of great people that are all for pushing each other forward and helping out. And, you know, if you've got a question, if anyone's ever got, I have people message me all the time. And sometimes like, well, I'm just like, who are you talking to? And I'm like, I don't know, some guy from Germany. He's just messaged me a question. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, he's, he's spent the time to ask me a question and reach out to me. Like it takes two seconds to respond and answer. It's no biggie. But then you do get some people that, um, I don't know, like you say, like, I don't know whether it's jealousy or whether it's like, I don't know what it is, but some photographers are very, can I say bitchy on the podcast? Oh yeah, go for it. I've said much worse. Yeah, they're bitchy. I would say that for the longest time I had this theory that people pick up a camera in, in a way to sort of act as a social crutch. And it would basically be like their way to get out and talk to people or get out to the camera club or get out. And when they're out and about, it's a it's an icebreaker for a conversation. But the problem with that is that a camera is an incredibly antisocial device in that a lot of people are very sceptical of either having their picture taken or the motivation of someone walking around with a camera and so on. So it actually kind of backfires as being a social crutch. And I, I think that's where a lot of it comes from is it's people that maybe don't, not all obviously, but there are people that get involved in photography and, and they're not well-versed socially. And the internet allows you to kind of be bad socially and not suffer many of the consequences that you would if you did it in person, I guess. Yeah, true. I agree with that. Um, if you don't mind me sort of quickly doubling back on weddings, because one thing I did want to ask you, and I've kind of completely missed it, 
with your workflow, so you get in from shooting a wedding, you've been out shooting for, I don't know, 10, 12 hours. You get in, talk me through like the next few weeks of, of how you go about sort of backing up and, and editing that wedding. What's your usual timing like? Um, so, I mean, I back up same day every wedding just because I had one instance uh, a couple of years ago where I lost like half. I didn't look well. I say I lost. I'd, I'd backed them, I'd uploaded them to Lightroom and then a hard drive that I'd backed them up to had gone wrong and I lost like half the wedding. But I had the smart previews from Lightroom still. So I managed to give them a full gallery, but like half of them were like very low res. So um, if they ever wanted to print them out, you know, quite big, they wouldn't have worked. It was just the most stressful time for me. And I'd spent a lot of money trying to get this hard drive fixed and I couldn't and stuff like that. So I always, every, every wedding I get home, I back them up to two separate hard drives um, and a cloud system from Seagate. Um, and I put them in a, a folder. So I'll do that first and then I'll sit down and, you know, have a beer or something. Like you've got to have a sort of a wind down almost like a routine, I think, after a wedding. Like there's a there's something that you probably do like every time after a wedding, whether that be yeah. photos, have a beer and a packet of crisps or whatever it is, like it almost becomes like a ritual for getting home from a wedding in order to turn off because it's such you're just on all day long. And like a lot of people think that wedding photography or photography in general is just like an easy cop out. They're like, what you get paid how much for a day's work? Like, but it is physically and mentally draining especially when, you know, maybe one week you've done like three or four weddings. Like you were just, it takes so long to get over wedding season. Like it takes as long as you know, the winter, by the time it comes, spring comes around, you probably just got over it. And then you're like, oh, right, let's go again. <laughs> but yeah, so no, I'll back all up the photos. Uh, and then um, usually like, obviously it's not been the same this year, but within wedding season, I'll usually have like a backlog. So Although I've backed them up, I'm still editing a wedding from two, three, maybe four weeks ago. So they kind of go to the back of the queue. But what I tend to do just in terms of social media and the couple is like the week after the wedding, I will just kind of quickly skim through the photos and maybe favorite a few, like uh, flag them up and I'll edit them and put them out as previews just so they can see them. Um, but yeah, I, I just work through the, the backlog as quick as I can. So initial cull, uh, I use photo mechanic to cull the images. So I'll do a first cull and then I uh, put them in Lightroom. And then as I'm kind of going through and quickly editing, I might do a second cull just to get them down a bit smaller. But I usually give clients sort of around, if it's a full day, like sort of 10, 10 hours or whatever, I'll probably give them between five and 600, maybe closer to 500 most of the time, uh, final images. But it just depends what's going on, obviously. If they've got bands and like entertainment stuff, you find that you may give them more pictures because there's more things to, to show. Basically, this is great because I could break this up into three sections and then I managed to mess up and, and kind of overweave two of them. But if we can just talk about portraits to wind down, um, again, thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, let's talk about your your directorial style with portraits. Is it similar to the way that you direct couples at a wedding or when you photograph someone that's more used to being in front of a camera, are you a little bit more hands-off? It depends who I'm working with. Um, and it did take me a while. Well, like when I started shooting a lot of weddings um, and I'd go do a portrait session, I'd have that frame of mind of like being in a rush um, so a lot of the time when I shoot portraits with people, I'd be like, right, let's do some here, right next. And a lot of the models would be like, Jesus Christ, why, why are we running around? And I'd have to s stop and calm down and be like, oh yeah, I, 
I don't just have 15 minutes like I would do on a wedding day. I've got all the time in the world. Like, do you have to slow yourself down? But it depends what model I'm working with. There's a lot of uh, models who I know well and have worked with a few times who I know what they're capable of and they know what they're doing. So I kind of let them do their thing. And then if I see them do something and I'm like, actually, let's go back to that and work on that. Like, I like that look, but maybe, you know, move your arm a bit, move your leg a bit or something like that. Um, but obviously if you're working with a model who's maybe fairly new and stuff, then you have to be a lot more hands-on and, you know, not touching them, obviously not with COVID, but I mean like telling them what to do. And stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I do actually, I much prefer working with people I've worked with a few times before, because I just feel like there's that element of trust there and comfort. And when you're trying to get like a portrait of someone and get them to really kind of show themselves it's much easier when you know each other and they're comfortable with you and you're comfortable with them as opposed to someone you've met for the first time. That's quite tricky to get them to bring themselves out. Does that make sense? Oh, hundred percent. And when it comes to your portraits, are you someone that talks through like body position, geometry, you coming at it from a technical point of view, or are you talking more like emotionally? How do you go about sort of getting your message across? Bit of both. I mean, I did a video recently um, talking about sort of this like I've definitely found over the past year when it comes to portraiture I'm more going for an element of story and emotion over sort of like composition and body position and lighting and stuff like that like the thing that always at the forefront of my mind is what is this image going to look like at the end and how is it going to make the viewer feel like are they gonna is it going to bring an emotion out of them is it going to make them you know question it or something like that you kind of want that kind of reaction from a photo because if people just look at it and go oh that's a pretty person you know they'll move on so i'm always trying to think about how i could bring that out whether that's like create a story in my head first of all and like we'll actually arrange the whole shoot around this story concept i've got in my head or something or just you know trying to get the person who i'm taking a photo of to just like really look into the camera and like show themselves so you can look at it and really think like you can kind of get a feel for who that person is. Um, but I will, I will, you know, tell people to move an arm or a leg or stand like this or sit like this. If I think it would add to the image. And what makes a really good portrait subject for you? Uh, well, it's a really good portrait subject. I don't know, someone who again can kind of, be comfortable enough in front of the camera to be themselves. Like I'm about to start this <coughs> project uh, that's been like two years in the making of just like my local area. Like kind of, have you heard of humans of New York? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so when they go around, I watched a Ted talk on that about a few years ago and the guy who, who started it, obviously talking about how, he not only takes pictures of, you know, strangers, but he talks to them about their life and stuff like that. So it was just, uh, I did a project a couple of years ago. Uh, it was called like what makes us happy. And it was about, I, I went around with a Fuji X100 uh, F uh, taking pictures that like, I put a post out on Facebook. Like, is anyone interested? And I take a picture of a person doing something they love. You know, I have loads of people that come forward, people that I knew and people I didn't know, you know, knitting, playing football, photography, just doing different things that they really love doing. So I, I took a picture of them doing that thing and then tried to take a picture of them directly afterwards to see if you could kind of see the happiness and that emotion through the photo. I did a, um, uh, what do you call it? Like an exhibition 
with the photos and stuff to raise money for um, a suicide prevention charity. It all came about because a friend of mine uh, committed suicide. We're getting deep here, aren't we? <laughs> um, so I kind of, yeah, I wanted to do something to raise money for a, a suicide prevention charity and that will come from that. But shortly after that, I had the idea for this South, it's, it's, I live in a place called South Bend on Sea um and it the, the project was called south end strangers so essentially it was just going around strangers asking them a series of like interview questions like this but just like really short like what's your first name and your age how long have you lived in south end what do you like about south end and then kind of taking a few pictures throughout these interview questions but then starting to get a bit deeper with it like what's the most difficult situation you've had in your life you know what are your hopes and dreams of the future and stuff like that. And as I'm talking to them, just again, stopping and going, do you mind if I take another picture? And then more questions. And at the same time that they're answering the questions, I answer the questions myself. So it's almost like we're kind of getting to know each other through this whole process and opening them up. And I just wanted to see if how different the first picture to the last picture looks. And if you can see this person letting down their barriers and opening up and actually if there's a difference at all and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to start that soon, um, especially now with the news that <laughs> I've not got many weddings going ahead for a little while longer yet. Um, but it's just, for me, it's more about the confidence. Like there's a big difference working with people that have hired you to just approaching absolute strangers on the street and seeing if they'll let you ask them questions and take their photos. So it's been a long time coming, me just having the confidence. And I feel like I'm kind of almost at that point now where I can do it. Well, it's a great cause as well, considering, you know, I think we're headed for a bit of an epidemic when it comes to uh, mental health with everything that's been going on for the last seven, eight months. I think, I think that's obviously something that's going to be a big deal um, and something that, like you say, affects you personally. I can definitely see it from my side as well. Let's, let's wrap up. I want to, want to, there's one question I really want to go through with you because, um, you're a wedding photographer. I love your work and you seem to be extremely passionate about being a wedding photographer for what I think is all the right reasons. And something that I get an awful lot. I had it at camera. I went to a camera club last year for one year. I'm not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> and in talking to photographers over the years, wedding photography has a sort of a stereotype and uh, other photographers almost seem to pity wedding photography as being like the job that you do because no one else wanted to do it. Or there are people, there are, I know quite a few people myself that only get into it for the financial reasons and not for the enjoyment of it, which I can't think of a worse way to get into wedding photography because if you don't enjoy it, it's going to kill you. I was wondering if you could just help me sell the virtues of being a wedding photographer and how much fun it is as a job and how fulfilling it is and so on. You know, what's great about being a wedding photographer? I think anyone that gets into wedding photography for the financial aspect doesn't last longer than a year because they soon realize how difficult it is and how draining it is. And, you know, yes, you can make a lot of money from it. And the past few years, like we've done really well with it, but, um, it's, it's, that's just not what it's about. You know, we absolutely love, I guess maybe like, cause you said your wife helps you. My wife helps me as well. And I've got a few <laughs> other um, people. There's a team of like five of us now to be honest with you, just people that I rely on and use on a regular basis. And everyone that I work with has just got to have the same mindset as me. Like we go in it for the fun from the moment we arrive in the morning, happy, smiley faces. Like there's a certain buzz of excitement on a wedding day that you just do not get in any other situation. It's almost like a festival. Like everybody who's there is just up for having fun on the good weddings. Obviously you might get a few <laughs> weddings where it's not quite as 
happy that you've won it, Steve. But um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Like everything throughout the day is exciting. Everybody's up for a laugh. Like, and we're the same, you know, I will, I will have a beer with the groom in the evening, then up against the bar, I'll have a dance with the bride in the evening, like stuff like that. Like you've got to be the kind of person that is, who's up for that and ready to do it as well. And if you're of the frame of mind where you, you know, you're just seeing it as a job, as opposed to, I guess, like a way of life, then uh, I don't think it's going to work out for you. I think as well for a photographer, there's no more fulfilling job because you get to be portrait photographer, a landscape photographer, an architectural photographer, a product photographer. You get to do macro work if you want. You know, there's so many different ways that you can approach it. And obviously the reportage side of it, which is the part I enjoy the most. Mm. Nothing will make you flex muscles and actually improve yourself quite like shooting a wedding because you don't get the choice to kind of hide behind the one thing you're good at and let everything else rot. You have to keep upping up, upping your skill on all of these different areas as well. 100%, yeah. It's, it's nonstop. It's all go, all day long. You don't get a retake. You don't get a redo. You don't very rarely have time to kind of sit and think. Like You just have to work on the go. And that hones your skills as a photographer very quickly. You know, when I was started using cameras with manual focus lenses and stuff like that, like my manual focusing skills just skyrocketed because you have to do it like like a manual focus on the bride walking down the aisle and stuff like that. So I think it's, um, like you say, it's a very fulfilling job and it's very rewarding. I do think there's a, you get a lot of wedding photographers that um, can get quite egotistical and it's hard not to get to that frame of mind when you've got clients and maybe even other photographers constantly saying to you like, oh, lovely photo, lovely work, or great job and stuff like that. It's hard to almost stay grounded. I don't know if you find that sometimes. Like you've got to remember that you're not the best photographer out there. You're not the bee's knees and there's plenty of room for improvement. Um, It's hard when you've got so many people constantly saying great work and stuff, especially with social media when you share a picture and you get likes and comments and stuff like that. It's hard to stay down to earth. Yeah, I think social media is an interesting one because it's it puts people in a position where they show themselves in certain ways. I mean, talking in a kind of general sense, they sh- they show themselves in a certain light, and then they get the adulation from that. They they conflate the numbers of of social media into I don't know, like ego points, like you say, it's something that can kind of fluff your feathers quite a bit. Um, yeah. And some people just don't react very well to that. Some people can cope with it, and some people go the complete other way. I'm fortunately in a position where I'm terrible at making myself look good. So I never have to worry about getting too much isolation, yeah. but um, that seems to be the trick. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I am a huge, huge fan. Everybody does need to go and subscribe to your YouTube channel so we can get that up to 10K as quickly as possible because it's yeah. one of one of the hidden gems of YouTube. And at the moment, everyone's watching the same four channels on YouTube. They need to find some new stuff to watch and you are one of those new things that they need to find. Um, where's the best place for people to find all of your great work? and your YouTube channel? Uh, so obviously YouTube, uh, Tom Humble. Um, I've got a few, I don't know why I did this, but I split my Instagram accounts to work uh, digital and <laughs> and a film. So Tom Humble Film, Tom Humble Just, or the Humble Photography Co is the work one. Uh, but there will be a website uh, coming soon just for me personally. And it will just be um, something like TomHumble.com, but that's that's in the future. It's been great to talk to you. Very much like your name, you've been tremendously humble. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. We enjoyed it.